So this morning, I want to introduce uh, someone I look up to very much in the Lord. Uh, We are part of Vintage of three concentric circles of network. We're part of a Vintage network here in LA. We're part of an HTB network of churches that run Alpha around the world. Um, But we're also actually part of the third biggest family of churches all the way across the globe after the uh, Catholics and the Orthodox. We're part of the Anglican uh, global family of churches. And here in North America, that means we're part of actually church planting movement within the Anglican Church, which seeks to plant churches all over North America. And um, we do that, which means that we then have like a father in Christ, a little bit like a Paul to a Timothy. And uh, our father in Christ is um, a bishop called Todd Hunter. Um, Todd helped uh, lead the early stages of the vineyard movement throughout the U.S. and around the world. He was head of Global uh, Alpha USA um, and was involved in churches all over the place. Todd has done incredible things. And for me personally, um, he's been a huge blessing these last couple of years as we have navigated, all of us, this very complicated Christian world here around race and politics and the gospel and social issues and everything else. He has been a voice of great wisdom and great calm um, to me. And so we're super grateful to have him with us all weekend. He's been serving all over the place. Um, But please, would you help me welcome um, Todd Hunter? Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be with this uh, part of the Vintage family. I've uh, been in Santa Monica a few times over the years, but I'm so delighted sincerely to see what the Lord is doing amongst you guys here in Pasadena. So I'm also happy to fit into your series this morning on what is the church for, and this morning we're going to focus on the church being for the world. And I hope to just give you a new perspective on that. I think perspective is an enormous gift, and one of my favorite ways to uh, talk about the importance of perspective is one of those dopey stories. Have you heard those dopey stories when there's like four guys in a small little airplane like a Cessna, but there's only three parachutes? Okay, so just got to warn you, the only thing worse than dad jokes are bishop jokes, but here we go. This will help you see the importance of perspective. So four guys in an airplane, tiny plane, only three parachutes. The four guys are a young pilot, and then there's a, a guy who, I don't remember exactly what he did, but he was like, like literally one of, the, like one of the most important people in the world. He did something about linking global banking systems together. I don't know exactly what he did. And then there was this really old, retired pastor and a young boy of about 12. So the, you know how it goes. The plane starts crashing, four guys, only three parachutes. The young pilot says, hey, it's super important that I live. I got little kids at home. If I die, my wife will kill me. And so he grabs one of the parachutes, and he's out. The smartest man in the world says, hey, look, you guys, I don't mean to brag, but I'm like the smartest guy in the world. Super important that I live. And so he grabs one of the parachutes and jumps. Well, the old priest looks at the young boy and says, you know what, son? I think I've lived a really good life. I think I've done everything God asked me to do. You take that last parachute and jump. And the little boy looks at the young reverend and says, ah, relax, pastor. The smartest guy in the world just jumped out with my backpack. (laughs) So you see, what we intuit, uh, what we think is real, isn't always what is actually real. And so I want to start this morning just by trying to give you like an evocative imagination that Jesus' constant saying of come follow me also contains within that invitation a sentness that is really core to Christian spirituality. 
that sending isn't just for extroverts or those with the gift of evangelism. The sentness, the being sent that's implicit in Christian spirituality is a call to leverage the most honest you. Your gifts, your background, your personality, to leverage that in the cause of Christ. Now, my wife Debbie and I have been married for 47 years. We've been in the ministry even slightly longer than that. And my wife has just never been the classic pastor's life, pastor's wife. Even like what Laura was doing up here a minute ago, Debbie would never do that in a million years. Like standing in front of people is just like, just is no way. She never has, never will. But she's a foodie and a cook. And so even while battling breast cancer when we were working at the Vineyard Anaheim, she would have groups of ladies over to her house and she would cook for 100, 150, 200 people for the Alpha Course. Why? She was leveraging who she was. She was never gonna go to the mall and stop somebody and witness to them. She was never gonna get up on a stage and preach a sermon, but she knew who she was and how she could be as the church for the world in the sense of you know Alpha trying to help people come to faith. So when Jesus says, come follow me, he really means something like, come become my apprentice. Like, join in what I'm doing, this Jesus movement, this revolution. And this requires, if we're going to be for the world, our own spiritual transformation. Because it's going to mean to learn to love what Jesus loved and learning to move with him in the kind of gentle, humble confidence he had. And so to live into this vision of being the church for the world... It means that we need to think of ourselves as Christians as being on this twin journey, a journey inward and a journey outward. So the journey inward is us coming to love what Jesus loves and the way he loves them. The journey outward is to actually be the church for the world. The journey inward reforms the part of us that's bent away from love or risk, the kind of things it takes to be on mission in the world. But the risk-taking of the outward journey teaches us things that cannot be learned in any other way about the internal part of us. And that is that we are always safe in the presence of sin and brokenness and rejection. So when we think, what is the church for? I want you to just think this first. That thinking about the church has to begin with thinking about God. It can't begin with thinking about the church especially not the church institutionally construed or the church as a denomination. No, the church is meant to be, as the movement, carrying on the movement of Jesus, it's meant to be the bearer of divine blessing. So just let that sit on you for a moment. What is the church for? It's for the world. For what? To be a bearer of divine blessing. To be a sign of the fulfilled kingdom to come to be a foretaste of it, to be presently an instrument of that kingdom. Like when I think, as Ben said, we plant churches all over America, I never think, um, oh, there's not an Anglican church in such and such city. We need to plant an Anglican church there. I never think like that. When we're planting churches, we're trying to plant outposts of God's kingdom. And we're trying to create in those churches people who are ambassadors of God's kingdom. That has nothing to do with any sort of denomination. It can include a denomination, but it can't be reduced to it. 
We don't think in those sort of positioning or marketing sorts of terms. Rather, we're trying to be a beachhead of Jesus' person, his word, his power, in the midst of a grim and hostile, uh, hostile humanity. Just think of the prayers of the people this morning. And I'm, I'm sure I'm going to get this wrong, but there's hundreds of mass shootings now every year. I can't remember the exact number, but it's hundreds. And that's only one aspect of this grim and brutal, hostile humanity. Well, who stands in that reality as a redemptive, peaceful, non-anxious, but a powerful healing force? The church. Because the church is precisely for that world. And so I think that the, the sense of what the purpose of the church can be, for me, summed up in one word, and that's the word alignment. And that is like when I teach pastors, like when we have, you know, whole days to teach pastors, one of the things I try to teach them to do is how can you align the vision of your church to this Jesus movement? And your church's values, its goals, its objectives, its plans, its programs, the kind of people it hires, your budget. How do you bring all this into alignment with being the sent people of God? And Jesus' imagination for this, if you think of that passage in John 20, you can put it back up again if you'd like. Jesus' imagination for how the church is for the world is one of continuity. Listen to these words again. Even as the Father sent me, so I send you. This is the sentness that I'm saying is a huge core part of Christian spirituality because being sent here means you've been custom made. So think of like Psalm 139 or think of Ephesians 2.10 that you've been foreordained to do good works in God. This sentness includes that custom made you, exactly who you are. Like I said, the difference between my wife Debbie and myself, each custom made, appointed, authorized, and commissioned. And so Jesus gives them this very evocative picture of even as I was sent from the Trinity to do what I've been doing in the world, I'm now sending you as the body of Christ in that same way into the world. And then to affect this, he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. And the picture here is like Jesus taking a deep breath and breathing on them, his own very life being exhaled on them that it would inflate them like a balloon. That it would inflate their life with the goodness and power and energy and gifts and the spirit of the, and, and the gifts of, and the, sorry, the fruit of the spirit coming into their life. And so when he says receive the Holy Spirit, he doesn't mean receive an experience. It likely will come with some sort of experience, but Jesus isn't picturing here receive a Pentecostal uh, experience or a charismatic experience or something. It may not include that. But receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not a thing. It's not an experience. It's a person. So what Jesus is picturing is the same sort of relational reliance that I had on the Father the church being for the world is going to have that same sort of relational reliance on the person of the Spirit. And so receiving that Spirit does mean that we receive the animating power of God, 
It does mean that we receive power or capacity. It does mean that we receive ability like the gifts of the, of the Spirit. And it also means we receive character transformation in the fruit of the Spirit. And so when Jesus says receive the Holy Spirit, this is the exact same Greek construction in the upper room where Jesus is doing communion as we, we will do in a moment. So when he says receive, he means the word is actually take. Take the Holy Spirit. Actively lay hold of him. One of the old translations says, be ye getting the Holy Spirit. Again, it's the same word that Jesus used when he said, take, eat, take, drink. And so one Greek dictionary says that what this really means is that we receive the Spirit with initiative. It emphasizes our own will, our own assertiveness in wanting to receive what God has given and this I, w- I want to say is the reason Jesus put so much emphasis on, f- emphasis on faith in the New Testament. You never see Jesus in the New Testament saying, blessed are you, for your honest skepticism has made you well. Or, you know, blessed are you for your understanding, understandable cynicism has healed you. No, he always emphasizes faith. That is to say, eagerly desiring, eagerly, eager to inhale what he's exhaling. This is why Paul said to eagerly desire the gifts. Paul just simply means ask, try, cooperate, believe, start, persevere in it. Learn to recognize the Holy Spirit's activity around you. So Paul isn't saying something here, and Jesus isn't imagining something just like being open. Like, I I come from Orange County, grew up in Southern California, you know, Christianity of my boomer generation, which means Calvary Chapel, Vineyard, et cetera. And I know there's a lot of people who would say, well, I'm, I'm like a cautious evangelical. I'm open to the Spirit. As if the Trinitarian God's going, oh, thanks. Like, you're open Like, seriously, you're open to the third person of Almighty God? That's not what's in view here. What's in view here is seeing that I am in Christ for the world, sent to the world even as he was from the Father. The only way I take any sort of effective role in that story is to inhale what Jesus is exhaling and to positively, like a child, receive it and then take our place in that story. Now you may say, okay, Todd, why is this such a big deal? Here's why. The purposes of God in humanity require a power that suits that purpose. Our story is not simply about you going to heaven when you die. You are going. And you are going because of Christ. You are going because of cross, burial, death, resurrection, ascension. Of course, you are going because of the Jesus story. But not merely. We're for the world. Even as the Son was sent for the world, Jesus says, so I am sending you into that world. And this is why Paul exhorted believers to eagerly desire the gifts to eagerly desire to be used by God for the sake of the world. And I just want you to hear that no church can be missional. No church can even be inwardly edifying without the visible work of the Holy Spirit. 
Now, lastly, as we think about the church being for the sake of the world, I want us to think about our second reading uh, from this morning. And if you can put the slide up that has the words, I entered their world. So there's a key challenge for the church in being for the world, and that is that the church tends to distinguish herself by her religious sort of separate nature. But the kingdom of God is a reality always connected to and in solidarity with the broken world. We see this, for instance, in the question in Genesis, Adam, where are you? Now, you, I know this is Sunday morning, we want to do a bunch of theology, but you do know the word omniscience. It just means the all-knowing God, right? So you can't picture that sentence meaning, honey, have you seen Adam? I swear I just had him. You know, like if you lose your keys or your cell phone or something, really the omniscient God lost Adam, couldn't find him? Of course not. So then you have to ask, well, what's happening there? And what's happening there is God is helping his broken creation see where they are. Adam, can you see where you are? Can you see what's happened here? The covering, the hiding, the separation, the division. This is the heart of God towards even original brokenness. We see it in the calling and sending of Abraham and the creation of Israel, that they would be God's people for the world. We see it in the incarnation of Jesus. That's our reading in John 20. We see it in the calling and sending of the 12. We see it in the sending of the Spirit, which fills and empowers and gifts as I've been saying, and sends the whole historic Catholic church into the world. Catholic meaning universal. Now, what I want you to see is Paul got this. And so when it, you don't have to put this slide up, but when he starts out saying, I voluntarily become a servant to everybody, he's defending himself. And all through Corinthians, he has to defend himself. Because people, like people were upset at Jesus being with tax collectors and sinners. People were upset at Paul. Why are you being with this sort of people? And he's explaining himself. And he gives us something that I think is crucial to modern mission or crucial to the the modern church being with the modern world. When he says, I'm going to start at the last, I entered their world. I was not afraid of our broken world. In the same way that God wanted to be with Adam and Eve, and even when they had sinned, I, as a part of God's people, wanted to be with the broken world. I entered their world. And I listened. I watched. I was present. I tried to experience things from their point of view. That is deeply, there is no more evocative language I can give you for being the church in the world today than that. The church cannot distinguish herself by her separateness. She is separate. But in her separateness, in the same way Jesus is the unique one and only Son of God, in that uniqueness, that particularity, that specificity, that's what was incarnated into the world. And this is the pattern the church follows. And so Paul's doing it. He's simply following Jesus. He's entering people's world, especially broken people's world. And he's trying to experience things from their point of view. But... I didn't take on their way of life. The church does nobody any favor when it starts compromising on core things. That would be like Jesus sort of, you know, giving up the uniqueness of sonship or something. So the church is the body of Christ and all that's core to that. We don't give up on that in being for the world. We don't take on the broken way of life. We keep our bearings in Christ. 
Of course, we're the body and he's the head. I just commend to you, you could think about this for weeks and months and years. What does it mean for vintage Pasadena to enter the world of this valley? What does it mean to try to experience things from the point of view of people who live and move and have their being in this valley? How do we do that without taking on their way of life? How do we do that while keeping our bearings in Christ? There is no greater paradigm, I think, that you could try to live into than that. So then I want to end by just giving you a couple of ideas about, okay, how do we do that? Like, what could be like a rule of life for us? What could be a way of living into God's purposes for the church and the world? And I want to suggest to you these famous words from Romans 12, 1 and 2. And these are from the message. You do this by taking your everyday ordinary life. You're eating, sleeping, going to work, walking around life. And you place it before God as an offering. Mission in the world and your own formation in Christ can never ever consistently be something you add to an already over-busy, over-calendared, over-indebted life. You'll never do it consistently. The key to your own transformation in Christ and the key to your mission in the world as the church is to do it within your life as you actually already know it now. You take life as you presently know it, your everyday ordinary life, your eating, sleeping, getting up, going to work, walking around life. That's what we place before God as an offering. That's how we're the church in the world. And so I want to suggest these four things that we could do. These four like mental images that we can carry around us. And the first one is, I'm the cooperative friends of, friend of Jesus. That's what my life means in the world. Right? Jesus said, you're my friends when you do the things I command you. He said, I'm no longer calling you a servant because servants don't understand what their master is thinking and planning. No, I've named you friends because I've let you in on everything from the Father. Even as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. I'm letting you in on all of that. This is not some sort of mysterious thing that only the super spiritual get involved in. No, you could decide right now this morning, the meaning of my life is whatever else I might do to get a paycheck, whatever other social roles I might play, in all of those roles, in whatever way I get a paycheck, what brings meaning to that is I'm the cooperative friend of Jesus. Number two, seeking to live a constant life of creative goodness. What I said earlier, we get this sense of I'm an ambassador of the kingdom, that my life is about being a sign, a foretaste, an instrument of that kingdom. And then thirdly, always for the sake of others. Like my own personal piety is never just about myself or my own growth in Christ. It's always for others. Galatians 5, Paul puts it this way in the message, Christ has set us free to live a free life. But use your freedom to serve one another in love. Or Paul in Colossians puts it this way. Uh, this is Colossians 4, again in the message. Use your heads as you live and work among outsiders. Don't miss a trick. Make the most of every opportunity. That is the church being for the world. And then lastly, as I've already said, we become the cooperative friend of Jesus. We live consistent lives of creative goodness for the sake of others. Number four, through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
It's from the Spirit, the person of the Spirit, that we get calling and understand our specific sentness. It's from Him that we give gifts and power and authority and character transformation and fruit and discernment and learn to see what God is doing around us. So there are corporate elements to aligning a local church to the purpose of God. As I said, vision, values, practices, priorities, budgets, personnel. But if we're thinking personally, if we're thinking individually in this last moment, in your everyday ordinary life, I want to encourage you to try this on as a spiritual practice. It's like a rule of life if you don't have one. I'm the cooperative friend of Jesus. I am seeking to live a consistent life of creative goodness. I'm doing this for the sake of others through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, we have a few minutes before the kids join us. So I thought we might practice uh, what we heard this morning when Jesus breathed on his first friends and said, receive the Holy Spirit. I'm wondering this morning if there aren't at least a couple of different groups of people here. Maybe there's some of you here who are just now beginning to experiment with trying to hear the Lord, and you know, that's always a little scary for any of us who've been on that journey. Even for those of us who've been on the journey for going on five decades, that can be a little scary. But certainly when you're first learning, how do I discern between my own thoughts or my own emotions or hearing the voice of God, that can be a little bit scary. But maybe as you've heard this talk this morning about how the, the presence and work of the Spirit is central, core to the church being for the sake of the world, maybe that stimulated you a little bit that you would just love to have um, inflating your life what Jesus is exhaling. And then as I was just sitting here this morning uh, as we were worshiping, the thought came to my mind that there may also be some veterans in this room who you can recall a time where God was using you. And you would pray for people and some people would get healed or you taught a Bible study in your home and people were edified or you served some way and you had this sense of being connected like that Psalm 139 self, you know, the, the part of you that was created in your mother's being by God, you know, way before you were anything physical or again, thinking of Ephesians 2, that you, you had this moment, an era of your life in the past where you thought, yeah, God is working through me, that there are good works that I'm created to do in the world, but, but I think for some of you that's gotten a little dry or a little stale or not as uh, um, profound as it used to be. And I would just love to pray for you for these last couple moments. So let's, let's bow our heads and make ourselves still for a moment. And I'd like to begin with those who are feeling like, yeah, I'm just on this journey, and it's exciting but scary, but I would like the Holy Spirit to fill me more this morning. Could you just lift your hand so I could see you and pray for you? That's, that's you. Just If you want, you can lift both your hands as if you're about to receive something. Now, may the Holy Spirit be upon you afresh this morning. May he fan into flame the gifts that he's giving you. 
May he stir them up. May he give you a gentle confidence. May peace begin to surround your journey. And may your obedience lead to more power, more authority, more capacity for goodness. May the effect of your journey on others be increasingly good, increasingly powerful. May you see healing and insight. May gifts of discernment and knowledge, gifts of wisdom, may they grow in you such that you can see increasingly what God's doing in your sphere of influence and join him there. Blessings to you through the person and work of the Spirit. And now can I see those of you who feel like, yeah, I had an era like this, you know, five years ago or 10 years ago or something, and it's gotten a little stale or it's not what it was and I would like to see it revived. Could you just raise your hand so I could see who you are? And again, if you want, you can just lift both your hands as if you're to receive something. And I say to you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, may pain or shame or rejection be broken over you. And may the Lord restore to you this morning, again, childlike faith. May he stir up in your imagination this morning, re-engaging with your gifts for the sake of the world. May the Lord heal bad memories if you've been spoken against or maybe even judged yourself, this morning may you find healing. May the righteousness and peace and joy of God's kingdom be upon you this morning, healing your body, your soul, and your spirit, and bringing you again into the joy of a childlike experience of God in your world. Now in this stillness, you might have your own prayers, something that I didn't mention. As we give you a few moments here of silence, you say to God whatever you'd wanna say this morning. What do you think or feel about what you've just heard? And put it in your own words and bring it before God.